One of the essential losses of our time is human connection. For the past decade, social media has been there to help us connect more. More friends, more sharing, more ways to communicate. And while that helps us to be more aware of the world we live in, as a society, we became more and more disconnected. The pandemic did not create the divide. It only amplified it. It's Saturday, March 20th of 2021, and we are taking a look back at this past week where Catholic Church surprised everyone with its doctrine. Some COVID guidelines were apparently wrong the whole time. The dramatic consequences of transgender topic. Uh, White House finally agreeing there is a crisis at the border. And the tragic aftermath of a deranged soul that took the lives of eight people in Atlanta. Welcome to Life Ring. My name is Alex, and I'm joined today by my hosts, Vadim and Paul. How are you guys? Just another day in paradise. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Glad to be here. Um, last week, I had a little sore neck, so I felt like a robot. I literally couldn't turn. I'd have to use my whole torso to like look around. So feeling good, feeling fresh, excited to be here. Good. That's good to hear. Yeah, we had some good weather. Um, got some stuff done outside. Uh, mowed my lawn first time this year. So... Well, this go. early. I had a huh? productive. Yeah, well, yeah, I had a productive week. Anyways, let's uh, dive into our main stories of this week. So the world is shocked that the Catholic Church cannot bless same-sex marriage. On Monday, the Vatican released a statement that was approved by Pope Francis. And you know, after I read through the whole thing, after listing all of their reasons, the letter concluded with the following: The Church does not have and cannot have the power to bless unions of persons of the same sex in the sense intended above. Now, you might remember that back in October, um, with the clarification that came like in the beginning of November, uh, there was a story about Pope endorsing same-sex civil unions, which, to be clear, is different than, you know, saying that the church endorses same-sex marriage. Um, here, here's the quote from, from October. The Pope said, Homosexual people have the right to be in a family. They are children of God. You can't kick someone out of family, nor make their life miserable for this. What we have to have is civil union law. That way they are legally covered. And what he essentially said in November is that he's supporting that idea, the idea that countries should acknowledge same-sex civil unions and provide the necessary legal protections for those people. And obviously the message really worried Christians around the world because it assumed that the Catholic Church has you know, given in to the social and cultural pressures and will probably change its position or stance on, on on this very important topic. Well, here we are about four months later uh, with the clarification that apparently shocked the liberal world. So here's a clip where uh, Don Lemon, a CNN host who was on The View, um, well, he was asked about the, his thoughts on his issues. The Vatican has said that the Catholic Church won't bless same-sex unions, quote, since God cannot bless sin. They go on to say that this does not imply a judgment on persons, but I want to know, do you think this sends a damaging message, and how do you feel about that, given that, obviously, you are now engaged and going to get married? Well, I think there are... Listen, I respect people's right to believe in whatever they want to believe in their God, but if you believe in something that hurts another person that, or that does not give someone the same rights or freedoms not necessarily under the Constitution, because this is under God, uh, I, I think that that's wrong. And I think that the, the Catholic Church and many other churches really need to reexamine themselves and their teachings, because that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people 
or even judging people. And to put it in the context of race, I find that, uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated place on earth, uh, time on earth, was 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So I think that religion and the pew keeps us from actually, they're barriers from people actually getting to know each other. So I would say to the Pope and the Vatican and all Christians or Catholics or whomever, whatever religion you believe out, you, you happen to belong to out there, go out and meet people and try to understand people and do what the Bible and what, what Jesus actually said, if you believe in Jesus, and that is to love your fellow man and judge not lest ye be not judged. So, and so he goes on and on. Um, what are your thoughts on that? This guy seems like the kind of person where his favorite Bible verse is don't judge. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of flawed logic, and he tries to kind of uh, he tries to kind of supersede it by saying a lot of Christian kind of cliches like "Oh, get out there, start breaking bread with people," or uh, you know, "Judge not, lest you." Or I don't think he even quoted it correctly. But the thing mm-hmm. is, he's just wants to use like little clips. Um, pieces here and there to form his own image of what Christianity is. He seems to think of himself as some kind of expert on on uh, religion in general. It's I just mean, cringy. I mean, he, he says, uh, this is what not this is not what God is all about. You know, and there's this uh, assumption that, um, first of all, we get, you know, we have CNN hosts, I guess, define what God is all about. But on top of that, he's like, if you read the Bible, if you know what Jesus is teaching, this is definitely not it, you know, like, because I've looked into it and I, you know... I'm pretty sure on, on what Jesus uh, taught. Today, there's 29 countries in the world that have a provision, either local or nationally, that allows same-sex marriage. Now, Switzerland will probably be the 30th country. I just read that they recently passed a, a law. Now, just this past week, Japan, um, I found out, is heading uh, that way as well. On um, past Wednesday, Japanese court ruled that the ban on gay marriage is unconstitutional. So they didn't legalize marriage, uh, you know, uh, yet, or the same-sex marriages yet, but the activists are celebrating this as a mini victory. And this is a cultural shift that will continue to swallow countries. And it's unfortunate because the kind of lifestyle is not only sinful from a Christian perspective, um, but also spiritually and emotionally destructive. But then again, societies can choose their own path, and that's nothing new, I guess. What is more concerning is this push for the church to, number one, accept the civil unions, meaning as a civil kind of case, like kind of agree that it, that's okay, and then change their view on same-sex marriage as kind of the next step. And is if that something that gets ordered from, you know, the liberal menu of requests? Like, here's, here's what... We want you guys to, you know, change about yourself so you align more with the culture. Now, of course, the danger here is that there will be more orders. And after claiming the next victory, they move on to another. So here's a headline I saw this week. Uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts becomes the second U.S. city to legalize polyamorous, polyamorous domestic relationships. So there's this group that the coalition that was formed and, you know, with a bunch of other groups, they were able to push this in the second city. And they're saying that an estimated 11% of people in the United States have engaged in polyamorous relationships at some point in their life. The idea is that they can now move this, you know, from this city experiment and eventually make it to the country. So polygamy is next on the agenda, and it just makes you wonder if pedophilia is next. Yeah, so definitely looking back at, like, what the Pope said in November, you know, he was kind of, like, gave more of an ambiguous statement where he, like, kind of allowed same-sex marriage. And so I was really disappointed to hear that because I feel like a lot of Christians today find themselves in, like, a gray area where they know they read the Bible, they know, like, 
they, they know what the church te- teaches them, but then they go into this culture and they find that like same sex marriage is okay and be, being gay is okay. And so they find themselves in a tough spot where they want to be loving, they want to be kind, but they also need to find a way to bring up their viewpoints. And I think like you pointed out, like what's next after this polygamy, pedophilia. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if the church now, like if the, if we don't stand up now and like uh, on social media, you know, a- anywhere that we see our friends, obviously in a loving way, in a kind way, but if we don't point out that we see something wrong and we don't point out that like there's a different viewpoint, then it's just going to keep rolling. You know, what's next after that? You know, if we do get to pedophilia, I don't know if we are, but what's after that, you know, and we've seen this in cultures, even in the past where it just keeps rolling and it Mm -hmm. keeps going. I really do think that as the leader of the church with so much influence, like he should be taking more responsibility for his own statements. Like there's a difference between a gaffe or a, or a slip of the, slip of the tongue, I mm-hmm. guess, versus just making a kind of people-pleasing statement that kind of reflects on his on his mm-hmm. political background as well as uh, just kind of trying to please everyone that, he's, uh, that he interacts with. Um, w- what's really telling about this is that the statement that was released just now speaking against gay marriage wasn't by the Pope. It was by the doctrine. It was by the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. So you can tell, like, he's, like, he's not retracting his statement, but they're kind of embarrassed by it, so they kind of Took some time to craft the response, and he kind of yeah. approved it, I guess. Exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. and so and and to also comment on the polygamy, uh, we see a lot of this uh, kind of cultural shift towards what used to be referred to as sexual deviance, but now it's becoming more normative, where you see kind of like these kind of legislations getting passed, where it's mainly kind of a symbolic victory, and so people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that are voting for it are thinking, well, what's really going to change? Is it really going to hurt that much? And then they pass it. And now it's and now it brings more uh, now it brings more attention. Now there's kind of a rallying around this around this movement. And and with the church, you know, we have a voice to uh, we're part of the society. And so we're inevitably going to affect those around us. And, you know, this country, after all, was founded on Christian principles. So there's nothing, you know, that you get. Well, why are we? you know, pushing our opinion or view as a church on, on the society. Well, because we're part of it, and and that's where it all began. Now, again, time changed, and that's fine. But in this case, you know, we have an, an a voice still, and so the Pope, I guess, has a responsibility. This is actually good news because that means that Catholic Church is still in the fight, you know, for the objective mm-hmm. truth of the Word of God. And, yes, churches benefit from Reformation. I mean, there's a point with that. There, there were times in history where we needed a refresher, but it has always been a return to the scripture, uh, not an attempt to write our own biases, our own cultural ideas back into the word of God. The creator has and always will have the final word on what is right and what is wrong. Our next story of COVID in the U.S. reminded me of yet another story. So there, in the dystopian novel titled 1984 by George Orwell, uh, there's this scene where the protagonist, you know, he's living in the country of Oceania, and uh, they're at war with Eurasia. So the crowds gather during this hate week, as they call it in the book, and they're there to denounce uh, Eurasia because they're at war with it. So the party who controls everything that people think and, you know, history, if you will, decides to switch enemies to East Asia. So now we're at, we're at East Asia. And there's this interesting, you know, scene of like there's this guy with this, you know, he's, he, he has a speech, but the enemies switch. And so in a mid-sentence, as the message sort of goes through the crowd, they're passing on these notes. Now we're at war with East Asia. 
everybody switches to East Asia. And the people who are holding the signs realize that the signs don't match the reality. They, you know, drop them and, and, and quickly change it to, to reflect the new thing that the party sent across. Anyway, so it's, it's dystopian. It's far-fetched. But again, it, you know, as I was thinking about this story, it reminded me of that. Well, Rochelle Volensky, she's our new CDC director, uh, she ordered a review of the COVID guidance and to make sure whether, you know, so that it's current and it has the most up-to-date info. And here's how the HuffPost summarized the report. Not all of the coronavirus health guidance released by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention during the Trump administration was based on best scientific evidence or even primarily authored by agency staff, according to a review ordered by the new CDC director. Now the administration has changed, and we're now changing the guidelines. And, uh, oh, by the way, whatever we had in the past was not actually factual. So, you know, so what about all the concerns that the public raised before? Like we, we've said, you know, wh- where's the science behind, you know, whatever you're, you're putting, you know, forward? Anyways, what else are we going to see like in a year, in six months that will be changed? Because, oh, by the way, we looked into it and now he- here's the new development. Uh, Fauci last Sunday announced that three feet may suffice to reopen schools. And as of yesterday, CDC updated their guidelines. So kids three feet, adults six feet. Makes sense, right? That's the new guidelines. Science said so. That's that's definitely a funny one. It seems like there's a lot of, in my opinion, it seems like there's a lot of flip-flopping on this subject. You know, going all the way back to in January when, last January, Donald Trump said that um, we're banning all travel from Mm -hmm. China. And then there was a backlash. And then all of a sudden, then there was couple months later there was questions why didn't we do it earlier why didn't we stop this um the stop immigration from china way sooner then there was thoughts on wearing masks and at first it was said even dr fauci said wearing a mask is detrimental and it would actually help spread the virus we're now wearing masks if you don't wear a mask you're looked at as a person who wants to kill everyone around you, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a radical radical thing to do it's three feet what we could have been doing all along so technically, it seems like this study says that three feet, kids would be fine to return to school with masks. Then couldn't we have been doing it all along? And so why, why are we only now implementing this? It seems like there's a lot of mentality changes. And I feel like in a couple of years, like you mentioned, there's definitely going to be like we're going to look back and say, all right, we didn't have to do this or that or this. And it's just going to be. It seems like, like with yeah. so much so much going back and forth and uh, like statistics being released about the effectiveness of some of the stuff that they've implemented. For example, lockdowns are really not as a, really not effective when you compare states that were the strictest versus states that were the most lenient. Uh, you know, Dr. Fauci, for example, he's he he's not retracting anything he's saying, but he's just taking the momentum. And then just kind of redirecting it a little bit. And so uh, for me, it's really funny because books like 1984 were written over 50 years ago. And and back then people were like, oh, ha ha, you know, like this is obviously exaggerated, but we get the point you're trying to make versus now it's it's literally like line for line yep. what we're seeing in, in, in news and in media. Yep. And so the guidelines, you know, it's the, OK, so we can take it. It's, it's an ever evolving yardstick, right? If it's politically beneficial, we keep stretching the yardstick if, if we're losing ground. In the case of the schools, because not a lot of kids return. So there was this problem of kids are not coming back to school as, as much as people expected, right? Or is the schools expected, I guess, or the government. And so then we cut it short. Well, you would expect at least that the people in power would then set an example with these guidelines. All right, so we have these guidelines. 
everybody should follow them. And unfortunately, the cases of hypocrisy from the top just keep growing. So remember Nancy Pelosi, then there was something about Governor Newsom, Governor Cuomo. Biden, recently I was watching a video, I think it was this week, he, he's like, and remember to wear this mask. So he shakes it in front of camera, then puts it down. And then minutes later, he walks away from the podium and, uh, uh, you know, and he comes up, shakes people's hands, and then somebody's like, hey, you got to go get your mask. And so he returns, you know, laughs it off. The idea is that it's easy to say, here are the rules and, you know, you must follow them, but then you actually have to follow them. And we've, you know, one of the recent cases is our uh, United States Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry. Um, apparently, he previously got criticized for flying his jet and, you know, that puts out a ton of, uh, what do they call Carbon emissions? Yep. Yeah. Is that how that works? It's, it's not great for your carbon footprint to take your own personal plane. Yeah. Right. And so 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 he's he's he he was flying uh, you know, like everybody else on a on a passenger airplane. And uh it turns out that he's you know, somebody caught him uh not wearing a mask. So he's sat down, you know, he bo- boarded the plane early and he was reading a book and the mask was off. Now they say it was only for five minutes and he wore it for the rest of the time. But again, it's just the case. Of, of hypocrisy. And in contrast to this story, there's one from Texas where Terry White, a woman from Oregon who is 65 years old, got arrested twice this past week for not wearing a mask inside two different Texas businesses. And as you know, they already lifted their mask mandate. Here's the video of um, her being arrested. Yes, I'm not going to argue with you about place. this. This is not a public okay, place. I'm this is a private mind. business. No, you're business. not. We're going to go outside. Are you serious? Do I look like I'm kidding? Well, I don't know because let's let's walk, go walk outside. You've got some issues. I've got issues that you're taking away okay. people's human rights. Okay. Oh, let's go outside. Let's go outside. Shoot me, people! Is no. going to shoot me for trying not to breathe? Cool. Come, cool. On, Come on, dude. Don't re- oh, don't do that. Oh no. Do not touch me. Who do you think you are? Point time. One oh, back up, back up. Some old lady is getting handcuffed here. Ma'am, put you your hands behind your back. I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, masks co- almost like became the symbol of submission to government. Yeah, and it's just gruesome. Like the double standard is just what kind of gets like the anger going because honestly, you see like even Dr. Fauci. Like I saw a video online where he was giving a speech. He was and he was like standing on the sideline. He was like in shot of like a press conference, I think. And then he had his mask on. And as soon as the camera shuts off, someone was taking a video with their phone. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Dr. Fauci takes off his mask, like unbuckles his belt a little. And he's just standing there, you know. And it's just like hypocrisy. Like for the camera, you display something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when the cameras are off, you're a completely different person. And so that's a little too much, in my opinion. It's fairly obvious that the way people are behaving kind of on screen and off screen, that they're not wearing masks because they think it will benefit their health in any way uh it really is just like alex said just a a way to show kind of submission to the government and you know on thursday uh the senator Rand paul he got into a heated exchange with dr fauci about wearing masks after being vaccinated and he called it a theater and fauci is like here we go with the theater again the idea is that you you know you keep wearing the mask well at least fauci's statement was uh, you keep wearing the mask because there's all these different variants of, of COVID strain. COVID strain? All, all different variants, right? And so my question is then, well, how many vaccines do we have to take? Like, do we just go now, right? You got to take the U.S. vaccine. Then, the you know, if you're traveling to another country, you got to take that country's <laughs> vaccine. 
He said there's different strains even in different states. Uh, strains in different states. So going to California, got to take California vaccine, I, you know. And surprisingly, so even though we have all of these uncertainty with the vaccines, Franklin Graham uh, came out with a statement to endorse the vaccine. He took it himself, encouraged everybody else to take it and, and, and said that it's consistent with the scripture about saving lives and, and so on. With so much uncertainty in the air about its necessity or effectiveness of the vaccine, at this point, it's no surprise that uh, nearly half of Republican men, I think the statistics said 49%, uh, say that they won't choose to be vaccinated if vaccine is available to them. Yeah, I feel like this survey was, I don't know too much details about it, but I do know that generally speaking, men tend to be less cautious about their health than women do. Um, and so this this could be kind of an inflated statistic to portray people, uh, especially people of a certain political conviction that they're just anti-vaxxer, Neanderthals, you know, when in fact, if you take the number of the entire Republican population, I'm sure the percentage will be much lower. And I know that they've done a similar study with uh, denominations and, and like uh, across different races. And there were a bit less, I guess, hesitancy to take the vaccine. But there's still this, you know, kind of like, I don't know. Well, I mean, and, and from that point, I think there's a lot of people that are thinking about it logically and saying, okay, I take the vaccine. What is it? What benefit is it going to bring? I'm still not going to be able to see my friends. I still have to wear a mask. I still have to socially distance. And if what Dr. Fauci said with the different variants, you could still get infected then what is the point of taking a vaccine in the first place? I feel like, to be honest, in my opinion, that number should be a lot higher of like this vaccine isn't even the leading experts, the leading doctors are saying this vaccine isn't going to be that useful and you could still get Corona. So what's the point of taking it then? Where's the when's the end game? Where is this really going to? I mean, yeah, yeah. So part of the hesitancy with vaccines, uh, masks, social distancing, and so on, is the changing nature of the guidelines, like I said in the beginning. Part of it is the elite hypocrisy, along with uh, a year of observation, how different countries dealt with, you know, COVID and what the response was. And I mean, we can look at the data now. It's, it's, been, it's been a while. I guess the biggest question is what else will they say might be factually incorrect or will need to be updated as something goes wrong and doesn't align anymore with the political direction? Speaking of pastors speaking out on important issues, here's a recent poll on the subject of our third top story this week. On Tuesday, Lifeway Research posted a survey they did about of about like 1,000 pastors. And the question was, is it morally wrong to change the gender you were born with through surgery or taking hormones? So the main metric that came out of that is that 90% of 90% of evangelical pastors agreed with the statement compared to, let's say, Uh, what did they say, 37% of mainline pastors saying that that's morally wrong. Uh, The denominational divide is similar. So you got Pentecostal and Baptist at the top agreeing, you know, 9 out of 10 that that it's morally wrong. And then at the very bottom, you have the Presbyterian and Reformed with the highest divide at 49%. So they're almost split uh, there. And similar response ratios were seen with another question. Is it morally wrong for an individual to identify with a gender different than the sex they were born? So the first one is about hormones and changing. The second one is about their identity. So there is no consensus anymore, even among Protestants on this topic. And just this week, there were two stories on a complete opposite spectrum. So Brandon Bulwer, a lawyer from Kansas City uh, in Missouri, father of a child who identifies as a girl, he went on to say uh, how he battled for quite a while with this question, and he forced 
at that time his son to wear, you know, boys' clothes and so on. And they went against the advice from psychologists and, and whatnot. Then eventually he came around to understanding that he can't continue going on like this. And so he spoke in front of Missouri House of Representatives in support of his transgender daughter and against the proposed legislation which would ban trans girls from competing alongside cisgender girls in school sports. And finally he said, and this is what caught everybody's attention, one thing we cannot do is silence the spirit of our children. And because of that, he went viral and the video was praised, praised across the country. Also this week, a Canadian man, Robert Hogland, got arrested for refusing to use preferred pronouns when addressing his daughter, his transgender daughter, who identifies as a boy. So that would be a transgender son now. Now the child in question has been uh, identifying as a boy since 11 and pursued hormone therapy, I think, at the age of 12. Uh, the mother is separated or her mother is separated from Robert and I believe she's a psychologist and endocrinologist, what the article said. So now I think he got arrested twice, second time, for trying to talk about the case because there was some kind of ban put on using the name for the sake of privacy. And so you've got two parents, two transgender children, and such different outcomes depending on your alignment with the ideology. Yeah, I feel like the main point that I immediately think of is that this is just a fad and people are people are giving a lot of attention to these things and you know we have this new uh we have this new kind of medical technology you know mm -hmm. we have hormone blockers that uh that are becoming readily accessible and the thing is the statement about silencing the spirit of our children is absurd you think about children right and if you have an authority figure like basically very strongly encourage you to like oh yeah you think you want to be a girl or like you want to try it like it's totally possible and then they don't have that foundation to really give a really give like an articulate response to it people are just kind of being swept along and it's becoming a trend really like you know obviously peer pressure amongst kids and stuff uh you know i anecdotally i can think of several cases of uh, where it's just teenagers that are really impressionable, spend a lot of time on the internet, spend a lot of time uh, watching mainstream media and stuff. It, uh, you know, these cases are getting so much attention uh, that it's becoming, uh, it's really kicking off a trend, I believe. This is especially a scary case when your parents, you know, if you want to go through this transition and like you said, Vadim, your parents support it, then that's the scary part because as a child, you trust your parents. And whenever they tell you you could do something, that's like, okay, well, if my parent agrees, that means it's the right thing to do. And especially, you know, with the case of the father in Canada, the daughter's still 14, mm -hmm. you know. And like you said, Vadim, if this is a fad, think about the implications for later on in this person's life. Like if she's taking hormone blockers right now, then later on if she wants to have kids or she wants to start a family or if she wants to do all these different things, it's going to be difficult for her because of a decision she made as a child. So my kind of, the reason I'm against this is because in the United States, if you're under 21, you're not allowed to drink. If you're under 18, you're not allowed to smoke. Why? Because it's harmful for your body. Don't you think hormone blockers are a lot worse than that? Now, okay, if you're a willing adult, if you're over 18 and you're willing to take this on your own, knowing the harm and consequences, then that's your thing. But as a parent, you should have a say. You should be able to stop your children from doing something like this because ultimately, I feel like they're not at an adult level yet. They, they can't make decisions for themselves as well as you could for them. This is one of those points where, you know, we should listen to the science because the science tells us they're not fully developed until they're much, much into their teen years, you know, and, and approaching the 20s. 
And so what can make this worse, this whole situation and this whole polarization that we're facing, is the Equality Act that's now in the Senate and, uh, you know, is under review right now. It's probably going to not pass the Senate. There's a lot of opposition, I guess, against it. But it's there and it passed the House and it's something that's being pushed onto us as let's normalize the transgender view of things. Now, what should the church do? Well, number one, prayer is something that can really change things because the original battle is not happening in the Senate or even in the minds of the liberal people. Uh, you know, it, it's happening in the spiritual world. And yep. in that sense, the church could stand up and pray and hope that that aligns with God's plan and what he, um, you know, wants to unfold in, in this world, right? or allowed to unfold or, or hold back. The second part is for us to engage in these conversations. Like Paul mentioned, like you mentioned earlier about, you know, sharing on social media. That's an important step to take for us to be able to hold that conversation and, and explain our point of view and share why do we think that where it's going is not a good place for anyone or for us as a society as a whole. Now, we can talk about protections for those people, but this is not what the Equality Act is. And so there's 57 uh, black pastors who s did just that. They put together a letter. that They addressed uh, the Senate and the review committee, I think, reviewed it on, on Wednesday uh, this past week. The letter basically said, hey, that's fine if we want to protect the people, but the Equality Act is going to do a lot of damage to the religious organization. On Wednesday, they reviewed the letter and... Uh, it will hopefully add to the surrounding opposition to the Equality Act, and hopefully it will not be passed in the Senate. And so I guess to conclude, our culture has been developing at a rapid rate and dissolving long-held values of family, faith, liberty. And now before us is this, you know, another landmark decision that's about to be made or, or not. And there are serious implications behind the bill. The effects on the religious freedom, for example, would be devastating. And yes, we agree these people should be or should not be discriminated based on their choice of sexual orientation, like in their access to employment or housing and so on, but not at the cost of infringing on the rights of religious organizations. So keep this issue in your prayers. All right. So now we're getting into our lightning round where we um, cover some important headlines that um, weren't big enough to get into our main stories. Um, so the first one here today is about Myanmar. Um, I know we've covered this story last week, and so if you want to get an in-depth look at it, please look at our last week's mm -hmm. episode. So there's an update. Now there's martial law declared in Yangon. The situation is ramping up and it's getting more mm -hmm. serious. And as previously stated, there is 30 deaths, I think, um, in the time being from right. last week's episode. But now in a single Sunday, there's 38 people killed. My thoughts and prayers go out to the people in Myanmar. And you know the question that could be asked is, where is this going to go? Because it seems like this new story just appeared and is just going to get bigger. Yeah, I mean, we see that the violence is escalating uh, very rapidly. And where it's going to go, only time will tell. It depends on whether it's left alone or if someone intercedes or if someone starts to sponsor one side or another. We will definitely be covering this and keeping an eye on it. And it's, it's interesting to look at from the perspective where... You you know, we're struggling with the pandemic, but like these people's lives are just like got turned upside down and mm -hmm. who knows how it's going to pan out. Among other things, uh, in the world of archaeology, they found some 2,000-year-old biblical scrolls or scroll fragments uh, from the book of Zechariah. And this was from the caves um, in, in Israel. They actually dug them out because apparently, what do you call people who go and I forgot what they're called, like the people who go and dig up 
uh, artifacts. No, the people who steal like, that stuff. Uh, well, robbers. <laughs> robbers. Well, not, yeah. not tomb robbers, but um, like... Tomb raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so they went in and they pretty much did it proactively so that people wouldn't steal the scrolls. But it's nice to see from time yeah. to time a new discovery. It's cool that they're jumping the gun on the robbers. Like if you think about it, kind of like an arms race for excavations. Like yep. it'll push them to improve uh, their methods and, and to you know discover things faster. Our next news uh, article will be a new research about uh, the planet Mars, which we're hoping to uh, someday visit ourselves. Basically, there's evidence that uh, because of canyons being carved and huge basins, you know, there's evidence that there was at one point a lot of water on Mars. But now scientists are kind of trying to figure out where it all went. So uh, there's theories hypothesizing about that a lot of it was simply lost to the atmosphere uh, or a lot of it is locked in, you might say, because a lot of the geological components in Mars mm -hmm. are uh, they're similar to like clay that we have here. It retains water really well, mm. not in the sense that there's a lot of it in there, but it's just like it's just hard to get it out. Um, and so that's that's another. You might say it's a setback, but at least we have more information. The next story that I wanted to get into it's how a building block of life got created in a flash. So basically, the story was in 2016, a family in Illinois thought that a meteor meteorite had hit their backyard. They called up the local geology department and they came out and and looked at it. And basically they said that piece of lightning hit the, uh, this rock. Um, and so then through it, um, I, I forgot the name um, of the rock, but it's a fulgurite. Yeah, it's mm -hmm, a fulgurite. Mm -hmm. And so through this, like it's a glassy like rock. And so through it, it's in a sense, it, cr it creates phosphorus and it kind of has this reaction. And so now, um, now that this was found, it kind of led these geologists and scientists to think that about 3.5 billion years ago, there was like a billion to 5 billion, billion lightning flashes every year. They hit these rocks and through it, like phosphorus was made and all these chemicals that basically brought life. So kind of a new development, which um, is still wrong, but it's... Yeah. It's anything but God. I mean, it could be a thousand lightnings. That's that's the origin of the universe. There you go. In a political world, uh, some of the things that we haven't covered is, well, remember the time when uh, Trump was, they almost began like an impeachment probe on the, on the idea that he was trying to get Georgia to find the votes that he needed and he pressured them. And there was this call that was all recorded and everything. Well, it turns out that the call was taken out of context and we now have the full call. And of course, the mainstream media did not necessarily went back and, you know, retract their statements about misinterpreting it initially. So that's an example of where, yeah, here's the update, but nobody's going to really hear about it, you know, on the mainstream news. Another thing is, you know, Biden um, at some point touted, touted, would that be a word? Touted Trump uh, about his walking abilities. or well, touted, yeah. So he... He's on record a lot of times bragging about his fitness and um, mm -hmm. like challenging people like on his rallies, like challenging people to push ups. And I feel like maybe he should spend more time on the Stairmaster than doing push ups because <laughs> here's the video of uh, him going up the stairs. I mean, it's sad, yeah. but yeah, he stumbled like three times and it's it, it's, it wasn't just like, all right, so he tripped. It was like, is he going to like fall and not get up anymore? Right yeah. at some point. And so that's the president of the United States. That's concerning. Yeah. And I, and I felt bad for him, too, because like once you stumble, like, you know, there's cameras pointed at you. So you get more nervous. And I feel like that caused him to um, go even deeper.
The next story that I wanted to cover is the pandemic forces Burlington nursing homes to close, leaving residents in limbo. So Burlington, Washington is a small little city here um, close to where we're at in Mount Vernon. Um, And so the new story that came out is that prestige care and rehabilitation is now shutting down and is putting 54 lives in limbo. So 54 people are now looking for a place to live. And this is not only experience here in um, Burlington, but... 1,600 long-term facilities are um, expected to close across the country, 20 of them being in Washington. So this is kind of scary news because it seems like these homes, people go into them when they have nowhere else to live. Like if they don't have children to take care of them, they go into these nursing homes so they could get the medical care that they need, and now they're closing down. So where are these people going to go? And I feel like this should be a top priority because who wants to deal with this uncertainty in like their retirement? Okay, so this next story is uh, a classic case of sensationalizing. Um, I'm gonna share this. I'm gonna share this graph with you guys real quick. The basic story is that jobless claims are jumping unexpectedly, despite despite um, states kind of pushing to take things back to normal, loosen COVID restrictions, and and so this is kind of uh, well, CNBC, I guess, uh, is saying this is an example of of how it's completely ineffective. And if you look at this graph, like it's. You have to really zoom in to see where the jump is. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know if they're counting on people not being able to see the chart or if I don't know how they expect to be taken seriously with this. Another good news is that tax deadline has been extended because of the uh, pandemic. So now you could wait till May to file your taxes if you like waiting. Once again, right? Because it was extended last year as well. Was it? Yeah. It was oh, extended nice. from April to like May. As well. well, there you go. Yep. There's some... Good news post-pandemic. Here's a video of a... Uh, it's a graphic video. Is it a graphic video? It's just, it's just a bit unsettling, I'd say. Uh, not so much graphic. But here's a video of a, yeah. a satanic news. TikToker. Uh, thanks, progressive Christians. Uh, well, take a look. There is a wave of Christian people that I have met on this app, and I have found favor among them. Progressive Christians are what the world needs right now. We both agree that religion needs massive amounts of change. Between your flawed Bibles, asinine ideals, and just outright misinformation, we've had enough. So in a Lucifer gang first, I'm here to thank you Christians, progressive Christians, for your assistance in this fight against misinformation. If you believe in God, I support you. However, believe half of what you see and believe nothing that you hear. Very scary. Um, And I think it could be related back to... Um, the Catholic Church taking the mm-hmm. stance on homosexuality and how it's just, there's so much gray area and I feel like it's a really good point. And if you're a Christian, you have to kind of stand up more for what you believe in and not like back down, in my opinion. Yeah, it's uh, this is definitely something that we're going to be bringing up a lot. The effects of progressive Christianity and how it's it's really doing a disservice to core fundamentalist beliefs. This next story, um, so Cardi B, you know, legendary artist, that was sarcasm. And so <laughs> Candace Owens, who is uh, a conservative talk show host, uh, she has a new show. Um, and so they started to have kind of a Twitter battle where, um, you know, insults flying back and forth. Uh, and so now they're uh, threatening to sue each other after this, after this, these exchanges kind of, because Cardi B was saying bad stuff that was untrue. Uh, and so Candace Owens is, is, was concerned about defamation of, of her and her family. It all stemmed out from uh, her appearance on Fox uh, commenting, because another thing that we didn't cover last week but uh, was the Grammy Awards. And there was the infamous performance of uh, WAP, 
by Cardi B, which is, you know, disturbing, but it's also signaling of the rotting that's happening in the society. And so Candace spoke out against that. Uh, and then Cardi B posted on Twitter the video from Fox News, the clip, and, you know, said, thank you for promoting the video, if you will. And so the battle ensued, you know, and then she posted some tweets that were apparently uh, fake tweets yeah, about Candace's brother. Yeah. Candace Owens said, you know what, I'll, I'll, if you want to go ahead with this, I'll, I'll sue you. And apparently she will be filing a lawsuit. And so, well, that wraps up our lightning round. So the next main story that we're going to cover is the Biden immigration policy designed to punish Americans. And so if you haven't been following the news, um, kind of a short uh, brief summary of that is President Joe Biden has reversed former President Donald Trump's ban on legal immigration and reopened the U.S. to people seeking green cards. So in a proclamation made February 24th, Biden said that suspending the entry of immigrants is detrimental to U.S. interest harming U.S. citizens and industries. Biden designed an immigration policy like no other. What the agents at the border are saying is they catch these people, um, they catch these immigrants, and what they end up doing is just releasing them into the United Mm -hmm. States because that's all they can do. So basically, everyone who wants to from Mexico can now enter the United States. And so to get a little further into the detail, an internal memo sent last week for um, ICE officials. And if you don't know what ICE is, it's just Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, so these officials announced that administration that the administration is suspending something called Operation Talon. Mm-hmm. That operation targeted sex offenders, but it doesn't anymore. Illegal alien sex offenders are now a protected class. So even though they are not recognized as a protected class in Mexico, they're they're obviously not well liked, but they're let into the United States. Then a day after, another internal ICE memo announced the quote. Effective immediately, the Biden administration would stop deporting illegal aliens who have been convicted of drug offenses, assault, DUI, money laundering, property crimes, fraud, tax evasion, or who have gang tattoos. Very uh, controversial and a lot of opinions and viewpoints on this topic. What do you guys think? Well, I just wonder, you know, like, so you, you kind of open the floodgates and expect that, you know, I was just going to be, you know, a nice little trickle in of people who really need help. But really, I think you're opening up a lot of doors for all of these potential problems, right? So we do need a system that sort of checks. I mean, part of the reason their countries are in such a state is because there is ongoing, you know, much deeper level of corruptions uh, than what we see here in our country. I think an important point to make is that if we remember something uh, that President Trump said a few years back is that when he was kind of making emphasis on, on you know, stricter border policies, that border security is national security. This isn't some kind of anti-Mexican agenda where we don't, we just don't like them or something. The, but the fact of the matter is Mexico is the last country in a whole section of, of countries that, that routinely produce and are huge on the global drug market. With opening the borders, you're opening your country to the problems that these countries are going to inevitably bring to us. I know in the Bible it says that we're supposed to love foreigners, where we have to love our neighbors. And obviously, I think it still applies here. But then if you look at the statistics and you see that a lot more drugs are being brought in, a lot of criminals are coming into the country, and a lot of communities and a lot of sheriffs around the country are speaking up and saying that their communities are now, they don't consider them safe. And in this county in Florida, 
a sheriff spoke out that they captured enough fentanyl, um, which is a really, really hard drug, mm-hmm. to kill 600,000 people, which is more than enough to for every person in their county to overdose. Mm. And this was just recently and captured mm-hmm. recently when this influx of immigrants came in from Mexico all the way to Florida. So now we see that a lot more drugs are being brought in. We see that a lot more people are traveling in groups and making our communities bigger. And especially, I think the wor- the point that a lot of people are worried about too is COVID, you know, whatever happened to COVID right. because everyone who's traveling in into the United States by plane, whether they're a citizen, whether they've been vaccinated, they still have to take a COVID test. And so now this um, caravan of immigrants is coming in and not a single one of them is getting COVID tested when they're just being led into the country. And you know, uh, they're in groups of people that are really close together, less than six feet apart. So what happened to COVID restrictions? If we're so worried about COVID and we're so worried about this virus progressing, why are we letting all of these people in without at least quarantining them for 14 days? You know, And it's interesting because if we're so concerned for the humanitarian reason of it, like, well, we're doing this because these people are truly suffering where our, our own country is suffering, right? And yet that doesn't deter COVID restrictions. I mean, they change when they need to be changed. But um, also from a Christian perspective, yeah. And, and from a conservative perspective, I don't think there's, you know, anybody who would disagree on the conservative side that we care for these people, that we truly, you know, can be compassionate towards their struggle. However, not at the expense of our own safety and security. If their first step into the country is illegal, mm-hmm. in a sense, what do we, how do we expect them to be, do everything else legally? Looking at the situation in Mexico, our heart should worry because these people, the the Mexican population, they're living in poverty. A lot of them are living in uh, drug-infested communities. They're living where the cartel is reigning supreme. And I don't know if you've heard of any stories of um, like El Chapo's son. This is a story Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. in the day. But what ended up happening is El Chapo's son was accidentally captured, brought into the police, and then all of a sudden the cartel, like made a roundup call so every member came they had like kind of a standoff with the police right. and without anyone getting killed the Me- the Mexican police just handed over this criminal because they were way outnumbered so we should care for these people who should love them but then we should think of other ways that we could possibly help them you know just letting them into our house might not letting them into our country where there's a lot of criminals there's a lot of you know other worries and fears why not help them in their own country where they are and where their homes are at where their families are at when we send so much money to the middle east we send a lot of money we send troops so why don't we do the same thing with mexico and i know it's easier said than done but if we truly want to help them why don't we do it this way so for a quick example if we're trying to help a homeless man on the street we could bring him in we could uh, give him our own shelter our own food and pay for every everything that they do but if we truly want to help them wouldn't we go and try to help them find a job help them um, find their own housing give them food help them in that way because there's only so much like homeless people we could take into our home and the same thing with america there's only so much immigrants we could take in but if we solve the problem at the root this would be a lot simpler and so as a christian looking at this story i think the main takeaway is that we should still 
love these people, we should pray for them. And if we see them in our country, we should definitely try to do our best to help them. But I definitely think that the administration is making some questionable calls and we should look at the situation as it is. Well, well. and the White House is at this point is now admitting that this is a crisis. So for the whole, you know, for the beginning, from the beginning of the week, they were like, you know, kind of avoiding the question. But now they're saying, yeah, there is a crisis at the border and we're dealing with it. And looking at the numbers, it's like uh, almost more than half a thousand unaccompanied minors are coming in daily at this point. So it's an 80% increase since last month. 80% 80% increase. I mean, the, you know, it's it's a problem at this point. I'm just really glad that the government's finally acknowledging this as a crisis and that, uh, most importantly, that we're not having kids in cages anymore. Now they're in much more humane migrant detention facilities, which I think is... <laughs> change the a, label, uh, change the problem. Yeah, nice. It's a big step forward. Um, in this next story, the government has a chance to respond to something just as serious. Uh, so this story, um, the main events kind of played out on Tuesday the 16th in the city of Atlanta. A 21-year-old who later told police that he suffered from a sex addiction paid a visit to three uh, spa-slash-massage parlors in the area in a shooting spree. So he shot eight people uh, who unfortunately died, and six of them were Asian women. This has understandably caused a lot of grief in the, in the local community and in the global community. You know, this made headlines in Korean news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people are understandably kind of reacting and giving opinions and speculating, you know, what his true motives were. So let's get into how the government reacted. The huge talking point by social justice warriors uh, that have kind of come out of the woodwork uh, to comment on this has been, you know, these were Asian women. So this was sensationalized by President Biden ordering that flags be flown at half-mast. And then Senator Hirono jumped on the opportunity to push through some legislation mm-hmm. um, against Asian hate crimes. Uh, just kind of the way they're... Pro- I didn't read too much into it, but the way they're, pro- they're prosecuted... Again, assuming that this was racially motivated. Yeah. Yes, so that's so that's the spin they're putting onto it. You mm-hmm. know, just the racial identity is uh, is kind of what they're placing the biggest focus on. Uh, so I think it's this is absurd and it's ridiculous uh, to use their deaths to push a completely different agenda. To portray this as the beginning of some elaborate plan to you know purge the land of Asians. Not only is this untrue by all accounts, it ignores the vast majority of crimes against Asians. That and you know that's not a white supremacist movement if you catch my drift. Also, if you want to help the plight of Asian Americans in general, you can address the policies that harm them. For example, discrimination against them in universities. But on a more introspective note, you know there's a lot of people that lament kind of this meme internet culture that's built up around. Uh, around Asian women and, you know, people that are identify themselves as weeboos or identify themselves as weeboos or anime fanatics. Mm. Uh, and this leads to often uh, Asian women being harassed and sexualized and objectified. But still, the media found a way to fit all these concerns kind of under this umbrella term racist. Uh, so the fact uh, that many big faults and shortcomings of our society are being swept under this rug uh, and this is just being used to push a uh, anti-racism agenda is disrespectful. I mean, nobody disagrees with the fact that, you know, racism is, is uh, in general, our society here in America, I don't think there's a, you know, this movement, like racist movement, if you will. We, we've moved past that. Now, these conversations, you know, bring the topic back. And, uh, you know, with the new political, I guess, movement, there's a lot of, with BLM and all of that, there's a lot of sort of focus that's been been put back on on race and the questions of, of racism but i think we were kind of moving in the right direction all along right there there's been some important victories if you will uh along the way and and 
we're on the way up. So when a situation like this happens, yeah, we can use it to to start a conversation. Absolutely. Possibly racially motivated. But when it is being used as a tool to say, no, this is for sure racially, let's, you know, what doesn't matter what he said, how it was motivated. It's it's definitely racial because look, look at all the people. And then I saw all these other videos that they were playing on the news about um, recent attacks against Asians. And some of them are pretty serious, you know. And so actually, if you look at the string of them happening, uh, across the country, then yeah, you you could kind of say maybe, maybe there was mm. some you know in some areas um, an intentional attack on them. But again, you can pull up stories from the whole. I mean, you have the whole country. You could pull up stories on any kind of subject, string them together, and say this is what's going on. Yeah, and and I think that's that that could be the case here. And as tragic of an event as this was, we can't just say that this was um, racially based, especially when there's strong evidence where even the person came out to say like, why he, did, he has no reason to lie at this point. He's already in jail. He's going to get incarcerated. And he says right. it was because they were sex workers. And it was because it just happened to be that massage parlors around that area were mostly Asian women. And so mm-hmm. if you take a statistics in, a statistic in any killing, and if you see that a large majority of it is of a certain ethnicity or a certain race or a certain belief, then you say, oh, this is targeted to kill these people and they count it as an attack and i feel like that's kind of the problem with woke culture today is that they take you could take anything and make it white supremacy you could take it and you can make it as racist when in a sense it really could just be someone is not in the right place mentally and just going out and like killing random people which is horrible but i think it's kind of demeaning to them to see that like to put an agenda behind it, in a sense. It's really turned into kind of a grasping at straws situation where you see you see not only this example where it's extremely hypocritical to say that, oh, like there's these terrible stereotypes against women. Look what happened to these women that were perpetuating the stereotype with you know their business practices and their lifestyles. Um, and lumped in with other cases like NBA player Jeremy Lin getting called coronavirus on the court. Like, like come on. Uh, like these are it's just grasping at straws and trying to string together an agenda if we want to delve deeper into this the, you know this shooter he claims to have a sex addiction and there are records of him going through a rehab program related to this and it was said that he you know he met to remove the temptation from his life when he was apprehended by police he was on his way to another place in Florida where he possibly had other targets in mind so this was not an a- issue of race this was an issue of sin the shooter was a member of a Southern Baptist church, baptized at eight years old, if, that's, if that means anything to you guys. I think it's too young to become a talking point. But um, basically, the church has taken a lot of flack for this because of the way they preach about sin and using you know, war imagery to talk about overcoming uh, sin in a quest for purity. Uh, you know, Some media outlets and even, I don't want to call them Christian commentators, but people that think they know about the Bible, maybe Don Lemon uh, could weigh <laughs> in on this. But they go so far as to quote the sermons that were preached in the in the local church, which there's no evidence that he even was there to hear it. Mm. And so, of course, this gives more ammunition to anti-theists, leftists uh, to wage a cultural war. And they're just relishing and having uh, having ideological enemies to blame for this tragedy. And I think just as much a stereotype would be to say that this is because he was Christian or this is because he had a certain religion or belief, even though. Like being Christian myself and looking out into the world, there's so many progressive Christians. There's so many Christians that don't even read the Bible, that have their own little like culture, their own little church that doesn't even uh, like re- 
do anything that we think is Christian. So th this is kind of like to say all Christians are going to be the same or all Christians even. I definitely think there could be stereotypes on both sides, but just because this one person does a bad thing, I don't think it reflects poorly of the Christian community. The thing is, when you make the comparison, there's no... This isn't in our doctrine. I, you know, I just feel like preemptively we need mm -hmm. to say that and that we don't condone <laughs> yeah. as Christians. Like, this is absolutely the wrong way to remove sin from your life. You know, every young Christian who takes the teaching of faith seriously uh, and tries to live by them, you know, that you struggle to overcome fleshly desires. Uh, it's completely normal. But this doesn't turn people into serial killers. So I think a lot of the calls to action, uh, they're either, either this is maliciously misdirected or ignorantly. Um, and so a big root cause being ignored is addressing our own depravity and this culture of kind of hedonism and entitlement and if it feels good, do it, um, that's being endorsed and being applauded on our biggest stages and uh, some of our most popular media outlets, cinema, TV, and music. Uh, we've already mentioned the Grammy Awards performance. And you know, it's not race that's the problem. You know, the easiest way to solve a lot of these uh, a lot of these strawman attacks about race is to stop twisting everything around to bring it up. You know, the biggest problem is sin and taking things that used to be uh, considered shameful or degenerate and then we're promoting them into virtues with our culture. Well said, Vadim. And I think the common thread with all of the stories that we've been covering is that people tend to find in the culture and, you know, in, in, around us something to point a finger at and blame. This is, you know, this is the reason, this is the reason. Avoiding the main question, it's the question of sin. And, you know, progressive Christianity plays a role in that as well, is that they're constantly moving the goalpost. They're constantly re you know, redefining themselves, not based on what the script, not returning to the scripture, like we said, which would happen, you know, in reformative kind of moments, but uh, instead adjusting it to their own biases, to their own cultural views. And so um, that's something that we as, as, as Christians, as conservatives, as, as people who care deeply for the future of our country, of our families, of our societies, uh, should pay attention to. That's it for today, uh, for, for, our, for the stories that we had to share. We hope you stay safe, healthy, know what you believe, know the facts, stand up for the truth, and uh, share the truth with others. And we'd like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ reaching out uh, to this world to bring peace on earth. So God bless you, and we'll see you next week.